Hello, and welcome to There's Always Tea, an uplifting podcast that will hopefully have you learning and laughing along with us. But before we start the show, click subscribe or follow now so that you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. My name is Keith Hockton. I'm a public historian, author, and broadcaster, and I'm delighted to be in the studio with my co-host, Nikki Jordan, who will help me digest a feast of facts over a cup of tea. And we have a great show lined up for you today on the topic of how many universes are there? Nikki advises people and businesses globally on how to ace their lives. She's a fellow broadcaster, author, and intuitive empath. Hello, Nikki. Hey, Keith. Nice to see you again. I'm really looking forward to discussing the universe today. As you know, I have what some would call an interesting relationship with the universe, so I'll get into that a little bit later too. But first things first, I see that you have your tea there, so tell us what you have in that lovely big black mug. I have a spiced chai this morning. I've not tried it before and I'm enjoying it so far. It smells amazing and reminds me of when I was traveling in India. I think I had the best tea or chai in Darjeeling, though Calcutta was pretty good too. Yeah. I mean, I love traveling in India too. And chai is a great one. And when you have it in India, oh, it's just so different, isn't it? Glad to see though, that you're venturing out of your tea comfort zone. Hey, I saw, um, as we were, as I knew we were going to do this uh, today, I was kind of online and I saw that there was a planetary tea company and their tea sound like something I would really love. And sadly, I wasn't able to get Mm -hmm. them in time for the podcast, but um, I had to settle with my turmeric tea latte, which I actually made myself. You know, I love making teas and I have to say it's absolutely delicious and bonus it's anti-inflammatory due to the turmeric. You know, I've got to get some kind of element of health in there. <laughs> yes, you do. Turmeric is a super spice, though. You and my mother swear by mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Look, I use it a lot in my cooking and in Jasper's food. Um, it's the bright yellow powder in its ground form, uh, but it's actually an orangey yellow root. Did you know that? It's like ginger and you can grate it too. Okay. Yeah. I grow it with my ginger. One of the few things that I get to grow in my makeshift garden. And the root is quite a different taste from the ground turmeric. Oh, I didn't know that. Different good, different bad. Mm. Oh, different good. The only downside, though, is I have to make sure I don't spill it. As any one of our listeners who's used ground turmeric, they will know that it stains everything it touches. Mm-hmm. Kitchen countertops, cups, your hands and laundry when it gets onto your clothes. Sadly, I've got many turmeric colored T-shirts that unfortunately got splashed and but you know they use it in henna as well when people are doing um you know they do the henna tattoos they also do this turmeric type of paste tattoo thing and uh, and it works really well because it stains the skin huh okay hey just on the um the planetary tea company i know that company i know Hmm. the company that you're talking about and they actually have a tea master um i didn't know that you can actually be a tea master i'd love to be a tea master Oh, can you imagine? I'd love that job. That's up there with the job at Ollivander's Wand Shop, isn't it? Is that the Welsh Ollivander's Wand Shop, the way you said that? (laughs) (laughs) Not the one in Harry Potter. (laughs) The one in... No, the one in Harry... (laughs) Clamagan or somewhere. (laughs) Where? (laughs) I don't know. Is Clamagan a place? Anyway, I'm sorry for Welsh people. No, it's not. It's not. No, we were talking about it, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. No, we were. Uh, it was on the it was on the Secret Life of Trees podcast, if I remember rightly. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a good podcast. <laughs> if concocting and drinking tea made you a master, then I'm pretty sure I'm a master, at least in my home. Indeed. Okay, well, let's get into it. 
So the question that I'm asking today is how many universes are out there? Mm-hmm. Right. Is that a rhetorical question, though? Yeah, I guess. All right. Well, I do have an answer, but I'm going to run with the science and see where it leads. <laughs> okay. So this will be interesting. So sometimes, when I'm, <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes when, I, when I'm on a plane and I gaze out of the window and I see the mountains and the sea and the deserts, and I wonder at how vast our earth is, and I then remember there is an object out there that we see every day that a million of our earths would fit inside of. I'm laughing because what planes are you on? I only see clouds. <laughs> I'm on a plane. You're seeing mountains and seas and deserts. I'm seeing clouds I, and sky. I obviously, I obviously travel in a more exotic way than you do. <laughs> a very different way. Um, but just a wild guess, old chap. Could that be the sun? Yeah, it, it is the sun. So the sun seems impossibly big, but in the great scheme of things, it's a pinprick, one of about 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, which you can see on a clear night. Mm. Did you know the sun is the most powerful source of revitalizing energy we have? The best bit is that it's free and it's so often overlooked. Yeah, I guess I've never thought about the sun in that way, but of course that makes sense. Yeah. Well, for years, yogis have practiced their sun salutations, haven't they? Do you know what they are? <laughs> Funnily enough, no. <laughs> I haven't a clue what you're talking about. I've tried yoga three times and I just can't get into it. I And I definitely didn't get to the sun salutations bit. Yeah, look, I can't pretend to, to know these sun salutations. I've tried them a couple of times, but they're certainly not easy for me to do. I think one has to be very flexible, I reckon. But sun salutations and the people who are listening who are really into yoga will know that there are a series of yoga poses that honor the sun, but they're very specific. You do the same things each time. And I think there's a, I think there's 10 of them, um, okay. if I remember correctly. Yeah. But it's believed that by doing these every morning, they warm up your body they increase your ability to receive the lovely prana or the energy that comes to you every day. And they rev up all the systems of the body ready for action for the day ahead. Yeah, if you say so. I love that, though. But for me, you know, I don't do that. But I've always uh, believed what? that sitting outside in the... <laughs> sitting outside in the morning and just feeling the sun's rays are immensely healing. What? So in other words, you'd rather sit there with your feet up and a cup of tea and the dog than do those 10 things. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I'm jolly busy, you know, and I'm going to go with that. Anyway, for me, it's a, my meditation of sorts. I love sitting outside. If even just for 10 minutes, I get my vitamin D in, which is really important now, as you know. And I'm usually with my dog Jasper and a cat or three. So it's rather nice. It's like my family time. Yeah, I can see that. And we get a lot of power through the sun too, you know, through solar power energy, for example. In fact, without power, I guess the earth would completely mm -hmm. freeze. And of course, let's oh, yeah. not forget that there were cultures and religions that practiced prominent sun, sun worship, including the Incas, the Mayans and the Aztecs, who focused on a number of gods who were associated with the natural world. So, you know, sun oh. worship's been around for a long time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they did do that. I remember reading a lot about the Mayans when I was studying um, in my various things. <laughs> okay. I think the most important <laughs> of these was the, the sun god. All three of those civilizations believed that the sun would not continue its journey across the sky if they didn't make human sacrifices. Oh, yuck. Gruesome. But... I guess that's what they believed back then, wasn't it? Hey, earlier you mentioned that there are 400 billion stars in our galaxy. Just how do you get to that figure then? Oh, scientists use an op optical phenomena called distraction. Distraction? <laughs> that's an oh. interesting way to count stars. <laughs> do you mean diffraction? 
Yeah, that's what I said. You actually didn't, but that's okay. Let's go with that. Diffraction. <laughs> okay. Okay. So diffraction, basically scientists take a small amount of space, let's say one second of an arc, and look at it carefully with strong telescopes and count all the stars and galaxies they see. Then they extrapolate that number to the total visible space. Simple. Okay. Could you now explain that in English and not Klingadon, please? <laughs> <laughs> you mean Klingon? Anyway, clearly not a Star Trek fan. <laughs> hey, I remember the made-up language they used, didn't I? Made up? It's real. No, it's not. Hang on, I'm looking it up now. Hang on a sec. It's real. Oh my gosh, I stand corrected. Okay, it says, although Klingons themselves have never existed, the Klingon language is real. It's developed from gibberish to a usable means of communication, complete with its own vocabulary, grammar, figures of speech, and even slang and regional dialects. Today, it's spoken by humans all over the world in many contexts. Blimey, who knew? Thousands of Trekkies knew. Told you so. Good Lord. Now I need to hear someone speak Klingon and see what it sounds like. And I must apologise to all the Star Trek fans out there. Please don't lynch me. So in answer to your question... To make an estimation of how many stars are in the universe, first of all, you have to estimate the average number of stars in a particular galaxy, and then that number is multiplied by a number of total galaxies to get the total number of stars in the universe. Okay, gotcha. So stars in a galaxy multiplied by how many galaxies equals how many stars in the universe, correct? Correct. And there are maybe 100 billion galaxies detectable by our telescopes. So if... And if you think about this, if each star was the size of a grain of sand, just the Milky Way alone has enough stars to fill a 30 foot by 30 foot stretch of beach with sand three feet deep. And the entire Earth doesn't have enough beaches to represent all the stars in the universe. That's mad. That's crazy math. Such a beach would continue for literally hundreds of millions of miles, right? Holy Stephen Hawking, that's a lot of stars. <laughs> nice Batman reference. Like that. But look, he and other physicists believe in a reality that is unimaginably bigger still. I mean, first of all, the 100 billion galaxies within range of the most powerful telescopes that we have are probably a minuscule fraction of the total, right? Yeah, right. And as Captain Kirk of Starfleet will tell you, mm -hmm, these universes are expanding Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, was clearly a genius. Uh, nicely done. I can't believe that you are now quoting Star Trek. I think you've won back the Trekkies. Uh -huh, you like that? <laughs> Actually, Roddenberry was a genius. He started out as a writer and wrote scripts for Highway Patrol, Have Gone Will Travel, and he also created a TV series called The Lieutenant. Then in 1964, he created Star Trek, which premiered in, premiered in 66. It only ran for three seasons before they cancelled it, though. No way. Star Trek is huge. I didn't know they cancelled it after three seasons. I mean, it seemed like it was going on forever, didn't it? Yeah, but by then it had a cult following and they syndicated it out all over the world. And the rest, as they say, is history. Indeed. So space itself is expanding at an accelerating pace and the vast majority of galaxies are separating from us so fast that light from them may never reach Earth. Yeah, that's right. But our physical reality here on Earth is intimately still connected to those distant, invisible galaxies. And I like to think of them as part of our universe. Well, they are. And they make up a single giant entity obeying the same physical laws. I mean, all are made up of atoms, electrons, protons, quarks, neutrons. 
uh, that make up you and me. Yeah, ex that's exactly right. However, in recent theories in physics, including one called string theory, are telling us that there could be other universes built on different types of particles with different types of properties, which obey different types of laws. Yeah, I read about that too. I mean, most of these universes could never support life as we know it, though, and may or may not flash in and out of existence in a nanosecond. But nonetheless, combined, they make up a vast multiverse of possible universes in up to 11 dimensions, you know, featuring wonders beyond our wildest imagination. You blow my mind. I, I love that you know this <laughs> stuff. Um, exactly. But just you, you just triggered me on something else. Life as we know it. Do you ever remember that song? I, I now have it in my head. Oh, no, no, no. Go on, sing it. Go on. Okay, the, I don't know what the, you're about. I, I don't know the year it came out, but it's like um, Star Trekking across the universe <laughs> on the Starship Enterprise under Captain Kirk. Star Trekking across the universe. Something going forward because we can't go in reverse. And <laughs> anyway, it's a it's a it's a great song. Well, you know what? It's all come flooding back to me now, even with that rendition. I think it was a lady singing the original, as I remember. Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. I think it was an alien singing it, actually, with like a squeaky voice or something. But It might be an alien singing it now. No offense. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those songs that gets stuck in your head, right? I mean, like Let It Go from Frozen or When My Daughter Was Little, yeah. We Went On A Ride, that, that constantly played It's A Small World on a loop. I mean, I love those. I love Frozen. I love It's a Small World. But I was humming that thing for days. <laughs> Weeks. Weeks. And then we'd go again and I, I'd just get it out of my head and we'd go again and it'd be back in there. Yeah, I was just always humming that thing. Anyway, so the leading version of <laughs> string theory predicts a multiverse of up to 10 to the 500 universes. Wait, what? Hang on. Let me write that down. Good luck. You'll be there all day. That's a one followed by 500 yeah. zeros. I just realized that as I started writing, so I won't continue writing it down. <laughs> I mean, that's a number so vast that even if every atom in our observable universe had its own universe, and all of the atoms on those universes each had their own universe, and then you repeated that for two more cycles, you would still be at a tiny fraction of the total, namely one trillion, 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 trillionth. Good Lord, try writing that down or even saying it fast three times. I mean, that's just crazy, but it's just a theory and it's a theory for a reason. They can't prove it, can they? Nope. And science theories are proven wrong all the time. Look, there are a few pro proven facts in science, and scientists often talk about how much evidence there is for their theories, and the more evidence, the stronger the theory. So, and, and the more evidence, the more traction their theory gains. Yeah, I know. I mean, a common way scientists gather evidence is to make a prediction about something and then see if they're correct. Mm -hmm. The problem occurs, though, is when the prediction is right, but the theory they use to make it is wrong. Yeah, that's that's right. <laughs> There's too many rights and wrongs there, but that's that's right. Scientists make mistakes all the time and theories are disproven all the time. Can you give me an example of that though? Uh sure. So the the planet Vulcan was said to have was said to have existed next to Mercury, remember? What are you talking about? Of course I don't remember that. <laughs> okay, good point. So, who remembers that? So this I'm was, listening to this podcast. Okay, so this was kind of like a, a classic um, scientific myth that, that was around in 1859. And it was, um, it was discovered at that stage by Urbain Le Verrier. And what he discovered in 1859 was that while looking at Mercury, Mercury had a wobble. Ah, that was the famous Mercury wobble, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> so... 
as he's looking at Mercury through his telescope, Mercury wobbles. And what he ascertains is that if you use Newton's theory of, gravi of gravity, you know, of gravitational pull, that the wobble had to have started or happened because a planet had gone by it, had gone, had gone quite close by it. And he devised that effectively that planet was the planet Vulcan. So, But he did he actually see Vulcan? No. Okay. So he never saw Vulcan, but he assumed that right. it was Vulcan that had actually caused the the initial wobble. And then fast forward, and and this is a theory that was that was around, you know, from then up until you know uh, Einstein's time. And then basically, when Einstein was trying to prove his theory of uh, re relativity. Um, he had to, through the math that he was doing, he had to disprove Leverrier's theory on planet Vulcan. So after correctly predicting the, the orbit of Mercury using general relativity, Einstein was then able to prove in a more profound way um, by looking at gravity that the planet Vulcan did not actually exist. Yeah, I mean, is it me or is the Mercury wobble starting to sound like a dance, like the twist? <laughs> I mean, if it isn't, I think it should make a comeback. I mean... <laughs> I quite like to learn the Mercury wobble. Um, look, absolutely, that made sense then. Um, and any planet wobbling is a big deal, isn't it? Yeah, it was But huge. remember that light takes, light takes time to get to us and that everything that we see in the sky has already happened. So we're effectively looking at the past. Yeah, absolutely. When we look at the stars and the planets, we're actually looking back in time. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I remember my physics teacher emphasizing this in school. It's quite profound, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But but back to crazy numbers in, in string theory, which we were talking about just before, even that number is minuscule compared to another number, infinity. Some scientists think that the space-time continuum is literally infinite and that it contains an infinite number of pocket universes with varying properties. Oh, you know what? That reminds me. Sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off now. Um, I used to say to my daughter at bedtime, I love you to the moon and back. And she used to say, I love you infinity, mom. And it was so right. sweet. And it used to make me giggle because she was like trying to say that, you know, you love me to the moon and back, but I love you infinity. So that trumps yours. So I thought that was quite sweet. <laughs> Very. Um, right. So <laughs> just a little story that I just thought I'd get in there. Right. So let me explain what you just said to our listeners. Right. Let's see if I get this right. The space time continuum consists of four dimensions. Mm -hmm. The three dimensions of space, which are length, width, height, or up, down, left, right, forward, backward, depending on how you wish to think of them, mm -hmm. plus the fourth dimension of time. Did I get that right? Yeah, you did, which is cool because now I want to talk about time dilation. So one hour in space, if you're close to the Earth, equals one hour in space. But of course, if you were near a black hole, one hour on Earth would actually be seven or eight years in space. Oh, right. Well, I didn't know that. Before we go on, at the beginning of our chat, when I asked how many universes are out there, you said you had an answer. What is it? I was wondering if you'd pick up on that. Well, even though I get what you're saying about one to the 500 million universes, and I do find that really exciting, particularly the parallel universes. Mm -hmm. I mean, that just fascinates me. Um, but my view in my current day-to-day -day life is that there is an infinite universe that we all belong to, like okay. the mother of all universes. And I talk to that one universe and it just makes it easier for me to do that. You know, I don't get caught up in numbers in in that way. It's just mm -hmm. the vast expansive universe that, you know, transcends all time and space and where there are infinite possibilities. And I work with this universe every day on on various things, multiple things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, me too. And I like putting thoughts out to the universe to see what happens. Oh yeah. I do that all the time. It's so fun. And see if they come back and they come true. Yeah. I mean this whole topic 
really kind of blows my mind. I mean, most people think there's only one universe, but isn't it cool to think that there could be others and then parallel universes on top mm. of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it really is. It really is. I mean, it's ever-changing, right? So, I mean, light travels through space at 186,000 miles per second. And when you look at the planets, light takes time to get from them to us. So, if you think about the moon, the moon is 250,000 miles from Earth. So, light from the moon takes less than three seconds to reach us. So light from the sun takes eight and one third minutes to reach us. That means that every time we look at the sun or the planets and the stars, we're actually looking back in time. Wow. So the sun is, what, 93 million miles away, mm -hmm. I think? And if it explodes, we wouldn't know about it for over eight minutes. What you're actually looking, looking at when you look at the sun is what it looked like eight and one third minutes ago. Oh, this fascinating, isn't it? You know, I love this part of science and the discoveries that they've enlightened us with. Mm. But I have to say, I do cringe when I read articles that start with scientists say. I mean, that's not to take anything away from them and their discoveries, but I don't believe that humans are the smartest life form on our planet. <laughs> we are definitely not <laughs> the smartest beings on our planet. Man rarely learns from his mistakes. If we did, we wouldn't be in the position that we're in now. Man, meaning just men. So if women ruled the world, would it be different? Hell yes. <laughs> well, you won't get any argument from me on that. You know, I think there are everyday people like us who are discovering amazing things about our planet. And they don't write a research paper or publish it in the news or try to capitalize off it. They just go about their lives, enjoying their discoveries and connections. They are my kind of people, you know? Yeah, I get that. And that's cool. And this leads nicely to quantum theory and adds a whole new wrinkle to this discussion. The quantum theory has been proven beyond all doubt, which is why I like it. Yeah, that, that's true. But interpreting it is baffling, right? And some physicists mm. think that you can only unbaffle it if you imagine that huge numbers of parallel universes are actually being spawned every moment and that many of those universes would actually be like the world we're in which would include multiple copies of you doing completely different things at the same time. Yeah, but this isn't a theory, you know, it's real. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but how's your brain? Yeah, no, absolutely, it's real. <laughs> so in one universe, you would have everything that you desire. You would graduate with honors, marry the person of your dreams, have the perfect family, the white picket fence, the chocolate Labrador, no issues whatsoever, and a charmed life. On another planet, well, not so much. Yeah, look, I completely relate to that. I think there are different versions of us. Like, even the two of us doing this podcast now could be doing something completely different on another planet in a parallel universe. Yeah, absolutely it's right. Crazy. And that's and that's quantum theory. It's really hard to get your head around it, but that's exactly what it explains. Yeah, and look, there are scientists who would still say hogwash to all of that, but the more mainstream accepted answer to the question of how many universes there are out there is one. And of course, there are philosophers and mystics arguing that even our own universe is an illusion. Yeah, exactly. I mean, think of the of the matrix, a choice between the willingness to learn a potentially unsettling or life-changing truth by taking the mm -hmm. red pill or remaining in contented ignorance with the blue pill. What a choice. Oh, classic, isn't it? I mean, what would you choose? Oh, I'd take the red pill. Oh, me too. I think anyone who knows me would say I, I have already taken the red pill. <laughs> But what I'm getting here is that there is literally no right or wrong answer to the questions posed in this entire podcast, is there? Yeah, exactly. I mean, everybody has their own opinion based on experiences and beliefs. But the main point here is that even though we all have different points of view, it's actually okay to have them. Yeah, I mean, we don't always have to agree, do we? But the bigger question we could ask ourselves is, can we be friends with or married to or speak with someone who doesn't believe in the same things we do, for example? 
I think we can. It's essential that we adapt to handling differences with respect and kindness. You know, putting up a wall to ward off people who mm -hmm. disagree with you will not solve anything. In the end, we're all still yeah. humans, and tearing down that wall and helping people understand this could be just the example to set for the unity that we need during this time. Yeah, look, I love that. It sounds so simple, and yet as a human collective, we're not quite there, are we? But the world's consciousness is shifting in this vast universe of ours. I'm convinced of it. And maybe also the other hundred billion universes out there. And that's <laughs> the you know, and, and that's a good place to start. We'll get there. And a good yeah. thought to mm -hmm. end this show on. Thank you, Nikki. As always, it's been a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, it was. I mean, it's a heavy topic, right? And quite complicated to do in a short space of time, but certainly a topic to think more on. I loved your facts and stories. The singing, well, <laughs> um, I want to be supportive, but don't give up your day job. But bless your heart, you had a go, didn't you? Sorry for offending the Star Trek fans. Um, and my tea lasted the whole show this time, which is great. Um, but I'm ready for another one now, I think. Indeed. And another tea sounds fab. Cool. Right. I'm off to put the kettle on. Perfect. Thank you. Well, that's all we have time for. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to click follow or subscribe to hear our upcoming episodes. And remember, there's always tea. Bye for now.